Well, you can take your Bibles and go to 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse number 23. We'll start there. <coughs> 23, we're going to go to verse number 29. It was uh, several years ago, 20 years ago, I preached a message that was basically like this message. And I believe, wasn't it 2004, wasn't it that the year you got baptized? Longbow Lake. This is the message that I preached the night that uh, my father-in-law, my mother-in-law came and I was able to baptize them in the Kenora Longbow Lake Bible Camp. Amen. I don't know if you remember that. It's a long time ago. <laughs> Amen. I remember my dad, my mother were there and uh, had several people um, from our church there as well. It was a really good uh, time we had together, kind of a church picnic, I guess. And um, I preached this message called, Is There Not a Cause? Is There Not a Cause? Verse number 23, it says this, And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the words. And David heard them, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him, and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up, surely to defy Israel? Is he come up, and it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former matter. And so what I want to do is I'm going to take some time and talk about this a little bit. The cause is a reason or motive that urges, moves, or impels the mind to act or decide. So basically everything you do has some kind of a motive behind it. That's your cause. What's causing you to do something? What's causing you to make those decisions? And I think it would be well for us to understand what our cause really is. There are many causes in the world today that many follow, many sacrifice for. There are causes that have uh, so arrested the hearts of men that they relentlessly pursue them even after against all seemingly impossible odds and many times fail and many times they succeed. But it's amazing what people do for a cause. We have many noble causes in the world that aim to fill someone's needs. And these aren't bad things. We have fundraising drives to send terminally sick children for treatment, even though their sickness has no cure. It seems impossible, but there is a cause. We have moments of, uh, movements of organizations that fill the stomachs of starving people across the world. I mean, that's not a bad thing, but that is a cause. We build houses and complexes that will house families that cannot afford to provide for themselves. 
because of maybe a turnaround in their finances, maybe a single parent situation, or maybe a disability. I mean, those are all good causes. There's nothing wrong with that. We also have causes that are not so noble, but that house within them the principles of shame and degradation. And we see that today uh, more than anything. Is it's, it's really trumping every cause that's out there. We have a feminist movement who, they, as they move forward, they, they have a cause of pro-choice rather than pro-life. They murder by the millions children that were not given an opportunity to draw their first breath of air. That's a cause. And it's amazing what, how they get motivated to go forward. They, the things that they will do to fulfill their cause. They try to upset the principles of authority given in God's word through twisted reasoning and deceit and cause many to follow them because it sounds good. Uh, they, they try to dismantle the, the family structure that we live in. They make you feel bad, ladies, for staying at home and taking care of your children the way the Bible says you're supposed to. And they make you feel guilty when you're like that. They make you wonder why it is I'm not making my career number one and why I'm not making lots of money and and showing everybody how great I am by by all the things I can do. There's a cause behind that. It's not very noble. (laughs) It's actually a pretty wicked cause. And I think the the one that promoted that cause uh, initially is Satan himself. He's trying to dismantle God's structure in the home. We've seen lately, we've seen the cause of globalism. And uh, all over the place, you're seeing how people are pushing for a one-world government and one-world principles. And even in our country, we have governments that our government is trying to tell us that, oh, these are the values we stand by. They didn't take a vote on that, I don't think, or nor did they even ask us. But they're trying to tell us, oh, this is what a Canadian is. And they're trying to tell you what those values are. And nobody asked me. And that's their cause, and their cause is to create this globalist society and this socialism in the government that, you know, we just simply allow them to rule our lives. The Bible says in Colossians 2.8, it says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. There are movements that save animals from distinction, uh, that have succeeded in actually getting harsher, harsher punishments for animal abuse than child abuse. There are movements that are trying to take away the God-given right the father and mother have to be teachers of their own children in their own home. They're trying to make you think that you're, you don't qualify. I remember I had a, uh, um, a social worker when I was dealing with somebody else's issue, and they were talking to me as a pastor because I was involved in this family's situation, and she starts looking at me and says, what, what gives you the right to to train your, to teach your children in the home. Now, it had nothing to do with me. But yet, at the same time, she thought she needed to ask me that question. I says, well, your boss did, but first off. She looks at me, what do you mean? I said, well, the government of Canada gives me every right. You know, she thought, well, you have a degree, but what right does your wife have? See, that's what they're trying to promote. They're trying to make you think that if you don't have some kind of a degree, that you're not qualified to teach your kids, and that's total hogwash. There's no greater person in the world to teach your children than yourself. There's nobody that knows them better, than nobody that loves them more, nobody that will sacrifice more for them than you yourself. 
don't listen to these causes. These are ungodly causes that are sourced in Satan himself. And he's just trying to dismantle our homes and trying to get us to give our children over into the hands of satanically ruled situations. And we ought not do that. I know that's pretty strong, but it's true. I think we ought to start telling the truth. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, maybe YouTube, YouTube will strike me, but, you know, <laughs> they don't like the truth very much. The most important of all causes has been neglected by all the nations of the earth, really. It's just, it's just a blanket denial. In fact, this cause is under more attack than any other that you'll ever come across. And that's the greatest cause of man is to glorify God. That has to become our cause. If that is not your cause, then you have no cause that's worth anything. If glorifying God is not your cause, then what are we doing here tonight? That's behind everything we do. Everything. Amen. It's time to start taking up the mantle of what God has left for us after Jesus Christ left and, and realize that if Jesus Christ came to glorify his Father, I think that we ourselves ought to all also glorify the Father in heaven. Yeah, in Exodus 9, verse 16, it says, In very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name be, may be declared throughout all the earth. Pretty simple. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing. I want you to show forth my power through you, and I want my name to be declared to the whole earth by you. That's what it's about. What is the name anyways? The word name is simply uh, means authority and character. Stop in the name of the law. It's talking about the authority of the law. So when we're talking about the name of God, we're talking about doing things in his authority, under his command, under his direction, according to his character. Should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, the Bible says. That means you hold up whatever it is you attach his name to and make sure that what you attach it to is worthy of the character of our God. Yeah. And if it's not, then, you've, then you have blasphemed. Then you have taken his name in vain. Amen. There's no such thing as Christian rock. No such thing. That's a fabrication of Satan's design. <laughs> It's not God. I don't believe it for a second, and yet, uh, over the years, we're, because we're not taking seriously our cause to glorify God, we're seeing slowly but, and surely that these, these principles that are being promoted by the world are taking over our thinking. And we're, Well, it's not so bad, and I know some good people, and it helped me. And I had somebody send me something, some music by some contemporary Christian rock band, and, oh, well, why, what's wrong with this? This is music helped me, and, and now I'm supposed to, you know testify against how the God helped her. Well, there's not much you can do about that. You're not starting in the right, right place here. The better place would be, Pastor, I thought I was helped by this, but what is the truth? Does this line up with the cause of our God, and does this glorify Him? That should have been the answer. Then maybe I could have had a conversation. Don't come at me that God helped you through these kind of things that I'm supposed to somehow join into some debate with you Folks, if that's how far you've gone down the line, there's no sense in me talking to you about it. You understand that? And sure enough, I thought, well, I think the best thing to do would just not to respond to this type of stuff, but even that wasn't the right answer because this person got mad at me because I wouldn't respond. <laughs> Maybe I should have just. 
put them in their place. Christ commanded the church in Matthew 5, verse 14. He says, Ye are the light of the world, a city that is set on the hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I think long before you can glorify God in heaven by your works, your light must be on. Your light must be on. It's not just about doing stuff. I'm going to do something that is Christian-like. I'm going to put on some kind of religious, you know, work thing here, and that's going to glorify God. Nope. If you don't have the light, it's just a work for yourself. See, it's a light that causes that work to be seen. That light is very easily detectable in a good godly Christian. It's that attitude, that spirit that you see in them where they're willing to say, whatever I need to do to glorify God, that's what I'm going to do. And folks, it's not a very common thing today. It really isn't. To be a light of the world, we have to start understanding that we can't have our own agenda here. We, we can't just choose our own way. We've got to let him flow through us and use us in whatever way he sees fit. And that light will un, unhinderedly, if that's a word, <laughs> flow through us and shine through us to the world that everything we do in the church or at home or whatever, it'll be accentuated by the light and people will see it and they'll glorify God in heaven because they won't understand how it is that you can do these things. You can have two people doing the exact same work, but one's glorifying God and the other one isn't. It's about the light. Ephesians 3.21 says, Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. That's why we got to take those stands. That's why we have to preach those truths. That's why we have to, you know, hold the, the standard where we need to hold it and so forth. Because it's, it's glory to him in the church, not glory to the pastor, not glory to the, the most talented person in the church, not glory to the richest person in the church. It's glorifying him and him alone yeah. in the church. Yeah. Christ commanded the individual. In 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, it says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It's ownership. (laughs) He owns it. Say, well, I didn't approve of that. Yes, you did. When you asked Jesus into your heart, you gave over ownership. And by the way, that is a good move you made. Because who owned it before wasn't you either. You were sold under sin. But through Christ, he redeemed you. He purchased you back from that destruction. And he made you a part of his plan, his family. He owns you. He owns me. And he says, hey, let me just tell you, you need to glorify God in your body and in your spirit because I own them. I'll tell you something. Anything that I own, if it doesn't work the way I want it to work, then it's got to go. Yes, sir. Amen? Yeah. I buy myself a nice truck. I want to get in there, turn that key on, and wherever I point those wheels, it ought to go, and it ought to go fast. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> you understand that? Yeah. When that truck decides, no, I don't want to start. No, I don't want to go this direction. And no, I don't want to turn right. No, I don't want to go fast. No, I don't want to pull that. And I don't want to do that. Then I say, guess what? Your time is done here. Yeah. 
See, that truck needs to glorify me, right, as the owner. It needs to say, yeah, whatever you want. I, I want to do whatever you want me to do. I want to, whatever you point me, that's what I want to do. However fast you want me to go, that's, what I, that's how fast I want to go. That, my friend, is the attitude of a Christian. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, it says, Wherefore, or whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Glorify just simply means to magnify or honor. Boy, we just got to get rid of ourselves in this whole thing. You can never just take credit for it. I got to remind myself of that every day. I remind myself of that in my prayer all the time. When we get together and pray as men, I always remind us and the men in our prayer that God deserves the glory. And I tell God, whatever you do today, I promise you this, you will get the glory for it. That is the way to secure God's blessing on your life. The reason or motive that urges, moves, impels the mind to act or decide. What does it mean to give glory to God? Simply, you just need to confess that you're an imposter. Anything that you think that you deserve a pat on the back for, just say, you know what, I'm really an imposter here. I don't deserve this. My talent, as smart as I am, as talented as I am, really, if it wouldn't be for God, I would have nothing Uh, I can't take the glory for it. You just need to give it all to God in everything. Amen. That's what it's about. What's the definition of the Christian's cause? The motive that is behind every action of the Christian is to honor and magnify the Lord. That's our cause. That was David's cause. When David saw that Goliath there, that was the only thing on his heart and mind that I could just glorify God against this wicked, ungodly giant. That I could just show the people that are around me that God is alive and true and and as powerful as he's ever been. And that there's no way that this world and this giant and anybody else has the right to call down my God. And he took whatever he had. I love Brother Garner's message that whatever's in your hand, amen. He took what was in his hand, that little sling. Yeah. says, God, this sling is going to glorify you tonight. <laughs> amen. That's the way we ought to be when we're, when we're getting ready to serve God in the church. You know, we get behind this microphone and say, Lord, this microphone today, I want it to glorify you. This instrument in my hand, I want it to glorify you. <laughs> I want to show them how great you are. Never yourself. It's never a performance. That's why people say, why don't you clap? Sometimes we do for kids. We want to encourage them that they're doing a good job. Amen? But those of us that are already mature in the faith understand that we don't need the clapping of the people as to our performance. We need them to say amen and glory to God. Amen? That's why we don't clap. And I understand it's clappable. <laughs> it's clappable. You know, we had some good specials today, man. We could have all asked for a standing ovation. But that's not what it's about. It's about glorifying God. There's some things in this passage, and, and this is all I'm going to go through today. I've got a, a couple of different things. But I, I, you know, in my old age, I'm kind of taking my time in preaching. You know, I just kind of just, I want to make sure I get my message across here. Things that hinder the cause. It's 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. It says this, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Three things we see there. Defiance. Dismayed. Greatly afraid. To defy means to challenge, to say or to do anything. And, and I don't know about you, I don't necessarily like to be challenged. I just like to just get along. <laughs> you know, I like to get along with people. I don't want to you know, have to get in people's face and so forth. But you know, the world is out there trying to defy us. Yeah. Trying to defy our God. They're taking on our God and we're standing back and letting it happen, basically. Right. Dismayed simply means discouraged. So the people of God heard the defiant statements of this giant and they became discouraged about what he said. And they thought, wow, you know, because they just didn't have the right view of their God. You know, right all along, God says, you need to know me better, you know. And they just didn't know him. Not like David knew him. David knew him in a way that these guys just didn't even come close to. He, he learned about God when he was in the, in the pasture there, when he was uh, taking care of those sheep, when he was talking to God, when he was singing and praising his name. And the praise helped him. The praise helped him to, to come up with the words how to explain who his God was to him. And, and it, be, it began to be very true to him. Amen. That's why singing is so important. Sometimes the words and songs help you explain God in a way that you just wouldn't explain God if you're just talking to someone. Greatly afraid, fear of man. Fear of man. It's my first thing I just want to talk about tonight is the fear of man. Proverbs 29, verse 25, it says, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. You notice that's what David did this day. He put his trust in the Lord. But you know, it, putting your trust in the Lord doesn't mean you're walking back to the back of the line and sitting down and waiting for God to do something. Trusting the Lord was saying, I'm willing to stand in the front with my little sling and take on the giant. That's what it meant to trust God. Trust God isn't just waiting to see what God's going to do and we don't even lift a finger to, to honor him in any way whatsoever. He wants us to stand up. He wants to show his strength through you. Fearing man shows our lack of trust is what that verse really means. We don't step out by faith because we don't believe God will sustain us. We're ashamed, basically, is what it is. We're ashamed of God. We're ashamed of what he stands for. We don't look at his cause and what he does for us stronger than what the world does and what they do for us. We're scared to give up what they supply to us for what God will supply to us because we don't trust that he will supply to us the way that he says he will. But for one second, we would believe that God would answer our faith as we go forward and come back in a way that would glorify himself in our actions. We'd begin to realize that these people, there's no reason why I should fear them. And when they challenge you, just go to them and say, guess what? You lose. Sorry, you lose. Because God is greater than you, and God is greater than your cause, and God is greater than what you're trying to do here. And you may think that you're winning, but you're not. Because God is greater. Because he has shown himself strong. That's why it's important to keep track of those things that God does for you. It's so easy to forget. You know, sometimes I wonder, God, will you do this for me? It's like he brings to my memory, you know, a thousand other things he's done. I guess you can. 
Many times he says, put this in remembrance, put this in remembrance. That's why he set, set up the stones. Remember what I did here, you know. Uh, put, the, put the tablets in the ark. Put, it, put the rod in the ark. Put the, the manna in the ark. Uh, folks, you just need to keep remembering that I am greater than all of your problems. Yeah. And we forget. And we forget. John 7, verse 10, it says, But when his brethren were gone up, then went he also up unto the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret, Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is he? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said he is a good man, others say nay, but he deceiveth the people. Howbeit no man spake openly of him for fear of the Jews. I mean, it was good to have a conversation about Jesus at that time. I mean, he was the character to talk about. I mean, if you didn't know who he was, you needed to ask the question, Who is this man? That's how you get the answer. And they should have pushed that answer, that question. They should have gone to more people. And they should have said, hey, who is this guy? And, and hey, I don't want to be see, deceived just like the next guy. And I, I want to be uh, in truth and so forth. But how are you going to know that unless you go ask the question? Yeah. <laughs> but it got to the point because of the, the Jews and the power they held over the people that even the people that would have asked the question stopped asking. Fear of man. And it snared their soul. It snared them because they couldn't get the answer. They couldn't find out the answer that they really needed to, to come up with. That he's just not a good man. He's more than that. And start piecing together the evidence that perhaps this is the Messiah. We have been challenged in this decadent day. And instead of taking up the cause and standing on the word, we show our mistrust of God and our fear of man. Folks, and I am just as guilty as anyone else. I have feared man way too much in my life, even in ministry. You know, many times it's you fear what other preachers think. You fear what they, their plan is. And, you know, you fear what, you know, maybe I'm not where they think I ought to be. And maybe they think we ought to have this and that. And that's how you get these cookie-cutter ministries that everybody does the same thing because we're all scared of what the other guy's doing or not doing, you know. I remember many times I have people come to my first ministry and, oh, too bad you don't have a church. I was like, what? I remember a guy, oh, too bad. You know, there was a time we were meeting in the Wednesday night. Uh, Allie remembers this. This uh, Wednesday night, we had what's called the prayer house. And the prayer house was a, was a house that one of the uh, senior ladies of our church, she was a widow. She lived there. Her husband actually built it. And, uh, and then she ended up being alone. He left her. That's all she ever had was that house. And it was right smack dab downtown Kenora. It was a house in the middle of all the stores and so forth because it was just so old it was just there. I mean, everybody's saying, get to buy that property to get it out of there. It was one of those kind of sticking right in the middle of all, the, all that stuff. And one day she decided, I'm going to go move in with my sister, but she didn't want to sell the house. It was just meant too much for her. And she says, Pastor, is there anything you could do with this house? She didn't want to give us the house. We gave her a little bit of money to take care of the bills and utilities, and she didn't want any rent. She says, could you use it? And I said, you know, we could use that. We started using it for a Wednesday night service. So I bought a pulpit in the living room and with a nice shag rug, and then <laughs> we, we called that the prayer house. Let's go meet at the prayer house. We have a little apartment upstairs, and everybody needed, everybody needed help or something. We let them stay up there, and you know, prayer house. 
had someone come down, and it, it was no great house. It, it surely wasn't very fancy. But I had someone coming to visit us on a Wednesday night, and they came, oh, I feel so bad you don't have a church. I just went, shh, don't tell them. They don't know that. <laughs> he looks at me. In other words, they love it. Yeah. <laughs> you got a church. We're in a hotel. We got a church, man. I tell you, this is the church. <laughs> you know? In fact, I'm going to tell you something. This is probably more of a church than you want to give credit for. You know, we're living a day and age. This does not happen. No way. It, it's just very unique. I remember I had one person getting all wacky on me and wanted to leave the church. And I looked at him. I looked him square in the eye and said, don't do this. I said, Airdrie Baptist is a great church. You don't want to leave the church. And I wasn't saying that because of me or because of what I do. I just knew that God had his hand on us. Says, Why would you do this? Why would you leave something that's so special, folks? You're going to leave it. You're going to regret it. <laughs> Maybe your pride will keep you from admitting it for a long time. But one day, one day, when you stand before God, you'll say, I shouldn't have done that. Yeah. When he shows you the big picture. Amen. <laughs> Got to be careful. When we believe from our hearts that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God, and that one that is worthy of our lives, we will begin with boldness to proclaim him to lost men without fear of them. You know, I was thinking even today, you know, I was asked to pray at the meal, and it's funny how it still comes to my mind, because to me it's not a big deal. I can be in the middle of a restaurant, all I've lived on my voice, and dear God! You know, I don't really care what people think. I really don't. Oh, dear Jesus. <laughs> Let them see someone pray. I don't care. I don't do it for a show, but I'm not going to hold back. I want them all to hear there's still Christians in the world. I want them to know that we're proclaiming God and we're glorifying him. Never be ashamed in a restaurant to bow your head. And don't do it for a show, but do it because you do it anyways. And you always do it. Yeah. Yeah, amen. amen. Let your voice be heard. Don't be scared of them. You look around at them and you look into their soul, you would see they need Jesus more than you could possibly imagine. And if you would know that, and you'd know what their, their, their need really is, really is, and you'd say, you know, I have that answer. Yes. Why am I afraid? Why am I afraid? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Amen. Fear of man. How about the discouragement of man? We see with David here with his oldest brother Eliab, he began judging his heart. So he did. You know, I hate it when people do this to me. I know why you're doing it. You don't know nothing about me, man. <laughs> yeah. You're so spiritual, you know the motivation of my heart. You know nothing. I don't know nothing about you either. I can, I can look at what you've done. I can look at what you do, and I can kind of get a little bit of a cause behind that. But folks, you got to be careful with just jumping on this whole, I know why you, you don't know nothing about people. You don't know what's going on in their heart. You know what they're going through. Right. Amen? Sure, we have to judge action, but never are we supposed to judge a man's heart. Yeah. 1 Samuel 17, 28 says, And Eliab, his eldest brother, 
heard when he spake unto the man of Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? See, Eliab is bitter. Because when Samuel went to anoint a king, first man in line was Eliab. Even Samuel said, this has got to be the man. And I'm sure Eliab says, you betcha. I am the man. And I'm sure he strutted around the whole family and made them know that he was the man. Can you imagine how that just hit his ego when all the brothers lined up and none of them were good enough <laughs> for what God wanted? What? What's wrong with me? I'm the big man. Is there another man around here? There's no men around here. Oh, there's my little brother and the pastor. Isn't it funny how he brought that up? Yeah. Amen. He brought it up. <laughs> Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? Those few sheep. Just bitter. Bitter. I know thy pride. Boy, this guy is smart. And the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. Now, one thing is this. I don't blame a young man for wanting to go see the battle. <laughs> you know, they want to go see somebody whooping up on the enemy. I mean, that'd be a good thing to go look at. And if I can get a, a you know, visitor box to that, I'm there. You know, <laughs> And I think any teen would say the same thing. Yeah. Amen. But that's not what was in David's heart. In fact, it's interesting because Eliab knew that the reason why David was anointed in the first place was because of his heart. He had a heart after God. And it's interesting how he, where's your few sheep in the wilderness and the naughtiness of thine heart? Ooh, Eliab was treading on very dangerous ground because God is hearing all this. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I just chose him for his heart, Eliab. My goodness, Amen. People that don't want to do right have a hard time believing you care what is right. Think about that for a second. When people don't do right and you make a decision to do right and take action because of right, they have a hard time judging that. There's no way you're doing this just to be right. There's got to be some agenda here. There's got to be something that you want out of this. And they're saying that because that's the way they are. They judge by their own weaknesses. That's why I always tell people, never judge people by your own weaknesses. You know, I've, I've had to listen to some people say some very foolish things in this church about other people. Sometimes I just want to slap them. <laughs> you know, I don't because I'm a pastor. I've got to be nice. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't want to slap anybody. Save that email. <laughs> You're like, what's this email thing? <laughs> Private joke, right, folks? <laughs> you must settle in your heart the reason you're standing with Christ. And that is that he may be magnified in being the only hope that people have. You know? It's hard to understand, you know, folks. And I, I question my own motives sometimes. And that's a good thing to do. Question your own heart, for sure. And I question it, you know, when I'm making the right, am I doing this for the right reason? Am I, am I doing this for, you know, and, and I, in the integrity of my heart, I really, in the decisions I try to make, I try to make it for the good of this church. Many times at the expense of myself. 
And that's the way it usually is. That's what Jesus did on the cross. He, for the good of the people, at the expense of himself. And if you're doing something, it's gonna, if you're doing something worthwhile, <laughs> it's going to cost you something. And you're going to have people trying to discourage you from doing the right thing. Because somehow, who, who do you think, you think you are? You think you're so good that you're the only one doing right? I don't know about that. I don't know if I'm the only one doing right. But all I know is I want to do right. Amen. Amen. I want to do right. Well, you haven't done right all the time. Well, the fact of the matter is if I haven't done right all the time, I still want to do right. And just because I haven't done right doesn't mean that now for the rest of my life I've got to choose not to do right. And if you fail, that's a really good reason why you ought to choose to do right today. Amen. Why are you throwing back at me my, the motivation? <laughs> my failures should motivate me to do the right thing. So yes, I am no good, just like you aren't. But guess what? I want to do right and show, so should you. And you're going to have people trying to discourage you because they're going to judge you because who do you think you are? Who do you think? You think you're so perfect. I know your heart. I know this. They know nothing. And whatever situation you're in, don't let that kind of discouragement keep you from making the right decisions. Because that's what the devil does. He wants you to whoop yourself so bad over your past mistakes and the things that maybe you have done that he's going to stop you from doing the right thing today because somehow you don't feel worthy to do the right thing. But God gave us this command, you glorify me at your expense. Amen. And I know from experience when I do this, and sure, in the moment, it seems like this is tough and it's costing me. And uh, is this going to turn out? I don't know how this is going to go. Folks, when you make a right decision, and even though people disagree with you, the Lord will protect you. And he's going to take you through. Yeah. And you will come out the other side. And unfortunately, many of those that have judged you will not. They will not make it out the other side. When Nehemiah led Israel to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, his enemies would misjudge his motives as well. And that he's rebelling against the king. Oh, well, you just want to rebel against the king. You don't want to give him tribute. Now, these people, they should know better than this. I mean, this king is the one that destroyed everything you had. But he wasn't rebelling against the king. In fact, he had the letters. He was there. I mean, he was in the, in the palace, uh, the throne room. And, and the king says, I will give you what you need to do what you need to do. He had letters of authority that gave him, that granted him the right to do that. And so do we. We have the letters of authority. So go build. Well, they're questioning my motives. Forget about them. Don't worry about them. Stop letting them discourage you. You have a letter of authority that you are supposed to go forth and teach the nations, preach the gospel, do what you need to do to hold forth the word of God and glorify your Father which is in heaven. You had every right to do that. More right than they have to discourage you. I'll tell you that. And how come people don't ever ask that? Okay, you're judging me for trying to do right and going forward here. What are you doing? I mean, let's put the scripture to you now. Let's scripturally examine what you just did, Eliab. Are you supposed to do that? Is that a scriptural thing for you to do, Eliab, is discourage your brother when he wants to stand for the Lord Jesus Christ? 
then maybe we start asking the right questions about this, we'd start exposing some of these wolves among us. Amen? But no, we get so caught up in the dirt and the stories and this and everything they say, we forget, why are these people even talking like this? There's no greater wickedness than you've just experienced in that conversation, and yet you're going to go blast someone else that's trying to do right? Why don't you take a moment right there and say, shut your mouth, man. You are incurring the wrath of God on your life. Amen? It's funny how we don't ask those questions. (laughs) That's the way it is when you try to do right, man. It's always you defending it, you defending it. A man does not know the motive of your heart. But if you seek to glorify God, your motive will become clear. Same with David. When he stood up and he started taking on that Goliath, his motive became pretty clear. It wasn't just the pride of his heart. Like anybody with pride isn't going to go charging that big giant man. This is something he had far more going on than just his own selfish motive. There's no way that he would have taken that on just with the filthiness of his own heart. It was something way beyond that transcends man's ability. And they were all sitting there on the hill scared. And this young man went forward. You know, sometimes people try to discourage you and judge your heart. Folks, don't worry about it. You just keep going. Because when you do the right thing, ultimately what you accomplish is going to reveal the true motive of your heart to people. Amen? It'll tell you don't have what it takes to do right. Even Saul, the king, in 1 Samuel 17, 33, and Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, but for thou art but a youth, and he was a man of war from his youth. And so Saul is basing his, his uh, uh, judgment here on, on experience. Yep. The victory here is experience. And, and this Goliath, I mean, I'll tell you something, this, this guy has been trained from a little boy to kill. David, you haven't been trained to kill. And because of your lack of experience, you can't take this guy on. And that's the way we are. We relegate victory to some kind of a human ability that <laughs> somehow we, we have to possess to make it happen. Well, you're just not smart. I've, heard, I've seen guys that, you know, they, they maybe they weren't the sharpest tack in the, in the pack. <laughs> Amen. Oh, well, you can't really serve God. I'm going to tell you something. They can serve God. That's not what makes them powerful. Mm -hmm. So I said this morning, it's that humble heart. You'll humble yourself before the Lord and God will use you. God will use you. doesn't matter what the IQ is or how how charismatic you are or, you know, or any of these things. He gave no thought to God's glory, Saul. Can you think about this? He's dealing with the enemy here. David already said what he's going to say, and it didn't even tweak Saul to say, yeah, this is about God's glory, so God will stand in for it. No, it's about, no, he was trained as a soldier now, and you weren't. That's what it came down to for him. Not God's glory. (laughs) So he was being discouraged once again by the king. Goliath discouraged him, (laughs) you know, or tried to. We see that in 1 Samuel 17, 42. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. 
disdained. That means disrespected. That means devalued. That means disesteemed him. You ever felt disrespected? Some people, this has a great impact. In fact, some people that grow up with that disrespect shown to them, it affects the way they look at themselves. (laughs) They take it so personally that they believe it. David could have believed it. Oh yeah, maybe, maybe I'm not that great and maybe I'm just a kid and maybe I'm just stupid and I can't do this right. And That's what happens many times with young people. Goliath had great confidence in his own ability. His own ability had taken him quite far. But he was about to meet, meet his match. You know what I mean? And that's the way it is sometimes. You, you can serve God. You can do all kinds of things. You can do it all in your own ability. But there comes a time where you need to understand you will meet your match. There's some things that you, if you want to go forward for Christ, you got to get past yourself. You know, some churches do well in just their own ability. That's what it's all about. It's just about the, the, it's about the machine rolling. It's just about the gears moving. <laughs> Everybody's got their place. Everybody's doing their thing. But folks, that's not what we need here. Hey, look at this. We're a little pioneering church here with a few people and we got millions around us. Your ability's going to do nothing for that. <laughs> you know, We're not going to put on a concert and say, look at how talented our musicians are, even though they're, they're talented. But I'm going to tell you something. Your talent is not going to make the difference. It's not going to. There's got to come a time where we realize this goes beyond the realm of man's ability. There's got, God has got to do something here that's beyond explanation, and that's where David was. He says, you know, giant, maybe you're right, but that doesn't change the fact that my God is still my God. Yeah. Oh, when you just look at him for who he is, then you have the victory, amen? That discouragement, he really tried to discourage me. You know what? It didn't work. Nothing could discourage him. Even the king, even his brother, even even Goliath himself, this little David understood, this isn't about me. He wasn't all pumped up with himself. That's the thing. When you're so pumped up with your own abilities, you get discouraged easily. All it takes somebody is that's smarter than you. Or maybe more talented than you. Or somebody that does something better than you. Then all of a sudden, oh yeah, I can't serve God because I'm just not as good and I can't play the piano as well and I can't do this as well. Folks, if that's where you are, you're missing your your fundamental piece here that this isn't about your ability, this is about glorifying God. I'm not saying we just, you know, don't care about our abilities and don't practice and don't make things on. We do that for God and His glory. It glorifies Him, not for performance. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Amen. Look at your preacher. I mean, this is just living proof. But God hath chosen the foolish things of this world, amen, to confound the wise. And I don't, I don't mind being foolish for God. Yeah. I remember one time I was in Kenora. This is so funny. I remember it to this day. It was early on in my ministry. I was a young preacher, probably 32 years old, 33, and, and, uh, I was filling in the pulpit at the church where I'd become pastor. And one of the men of the church started praying. He said, I'm going to have a word of prayer. And he was still running the service. And he said, dear Lord, uh, 
please use these fools for yourself. And I thought, okay, <laughs> you're the man that's calling us a fool already. But man, he doesn't think very highly of us. But man, I, that just stuck in my mind. It says, how right it is. How right it is. Lord, please use these fools. <laughs> we, we invited him to come preach. He's driven three and a half hours to be here. He's just a fool. <laughs> you know, he just, whatever he does, dear God, please help him. You know, I just thought, that is so perfect. So perfect. And you know what, if that offends me, then I shouldn't be preaching. You know, because we are just fools. Paul said that many times. I speak as a fool. He just said, man, I, like I'm supposed to sit here and defend myself and defend my office and defend how great I am. I'm a fool, he says. I mean, you just forget all that. He says, but you know something? God's got a plan. He didn't let that discourage him, you know. God has chosen the, fo- chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world con- to confound the things which are mighty. How about 2 Corinthians 12, 9? And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Amen. All about the grace of God and his ability to carry you through in your weakness. Amen. Pride. That was Goliath. He was so geared up with his ability. He thought, man, there's nobody bigger than me. There's nobody uglier than me. Everybody's scared of me. When I come walking down the road, they turn the other way. I got a, I got a spear that not one man can lift on his own. I've got a sword that's so sharp I could cut three heads off in one swipe. Who is going to take me on? <laughs> Well, pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. That surely is what happened. Pride says I can rather than God can through me. That's the difference. David was saying God can through me and he will. And Goliath was saying I can. And he put himself against the God of heaven. Oh, what a fool, fool, fool he was. The reason we fail to glorify God in our lives is because we're placing our focus upon our abilities rather than God's ability. Discouragement is a direct result of focusing on ourselves rather than God. You discouraged? Stop thinking about yourself. You're not that great of a thing to think about. That's a poor topic for your life. Stop focusing on yourself. Just think about the Lord. You know, it's every time I'm dealing with people and the problems they have, it's always because the eyes are on self. Anytime they're discouraged and wanting to quit, it's always because eyes are upon self. Whenever I doubt my salvation, it's always eyes upon self. It's eyes upon self, eyes upon self. They're somehow supposed to be greater than they really are and they don't realize, actually, the key to victory is understanding how weak you truly are. And we can finally get to that point and be honest about it and look at somebody and say, yeah, you know what, I'm not that great. But I tell you something, my God is great, and he will carry me through. If you can get to that point, nobody's going to discourage you. In fact, you'll just smile as you try. Because everything they say, yeah, amen, amen. Yeah, you know what, you're like this, yeah. yeah. Who do you think you are, yeah? <laughs> yeah, who would I think I am? <laughs> They're just kind of... <laughs> They're, they're trying to play the game their way. Because they know what would hurt them. So they're using it to hurt you. But you've got this shield. This shield of humility. 
the shield of lowliness, understanding that, hey, <laughs> when you're at the bottom, you really don't care if people think you're at the bottom. <laughs> it's usually when you try to lift yourself up, that's when you're insulted by them telling you you're at the bottom. But if you're there, what does it matter? Then you know, any way I go, at least it's up. <laughs> Amen. Them, they got a long way to come down. Goliath, he was coming down. The bigger they are, harder they fall. Harder they fall. <laughs> That's exactly.